Hello and welcome to the Voter Podcast, because when you vote, good things can happen. I'm Mara Davis, and I'm a TV radio host, podcast host, talent booker, political enthusiasm, and I'm a proud Georgia citizen where there is never, ever a dull moment. There is not a dull moment, and I am Jen Jordan, and I am a proud Georgia citizen who lives in a state that has been sued by the Department of Justice because of its discriminatory laws. So how about those cookies today? Before every time we record, I will send Jen a rundown of things to propose to talk about. And sometimes she'll go through it and be like, I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to talk about that. And I sound just like that. And then, and then I texted her today and I said, wow, uh, the United States Justice Department is suing the state of Georgia. Is this a big deal? Question mark, question mark, question mark. And Jen responds back. Uh, yeah, it is. I you, mean, it's you a just huge. Said, pretty much. Yeah. It's a huge big deal. <laughs> yes. um, I mean, this is the Department of Justice coming in and and basically pointing a finger at the state and saying, you have passed and allowed this, this law to go into effect, whose very intent is to take voting rights away from Black Georgians and other people of color. I mean, that's a pretty significant statement. I thought it was big. And I bring up the rundown because we had to literally throw everything away because this came up and I felt pretty blindsided by it. Did I mean, did you, I mean, all of a sudden it was out of nowhere, like USA versus Georgia. I mean, wow. No. Yeah. I mean, part of the thing that a lot of private attorneys and different groups have kind of taken up, you know, the mantle of, of taking the state to court when it comes to the various laws or positions they've taken that hurt people, right? And so that's what I'm used to. I'm used to, for example, yesterday, the Southern um, Poverty Law Center sued the state and the labor commissioner, Mark Butler, because of his absolute ridiculous failure to get people their unemployment benefits on time. Mm. And so that's what I'm used to, kind of you know, private attorneys doing pro bono suits or, or different groups. But to have the power of the Department of Justice, um, you know, have their stamp on this, it's it's serious. Well, uh, Merrick Garland, um, I don't think he plays, had a lot to say. Today, the Department of Justice is suing the state of Georgia. Our complaint alleges that recent changes to Georgia's election laws were enacted with the purpose of denying or abridging the right of black Georgians to vote on account of their race or color in violation of Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. I mean, this, it, it sort of blew my mind. I, I wasn't expecting it. Did, were you expecting this at all? Were you expecting some bubbling up or, or when you saw they announced this, that it was, it was a big deal? I didn't expect this at all. I mean, that, that is how significant it is that this was not on my bingo card for this year, that the, that the Justice Department would step in, um, especially because there are multiple uh, private lawsuits, private civil suits that have been filed against the state. 
specifically as to SB 202. And they're all going to the same judge, the same federal judge, Judge J.P. Boulay, who's a Trump appointee. And so it is going to be really, really interesting to see kind of what happens with all of these cases. And let me say, Judge Boulay has an excellent reputation. As a, as a lawyer, I, I have a, a lot of respect for him. And I think he's going to handle these as well as any federal judge could. Let's back up for a minute so people can understand what this lawsuit is. So we had SB 202, which was the bill that became law after the elections, which proposed significant changes to Georgia elections. And there's like a whole laundry list of things because people will come in and say, oh, well, gosh, why are people all upset about bringing an ID to vote uh, or requiring an ID to vote? And that's just one of the many things. But I think a lot of Republicans seem to point to that because most Americans, Jen, feel that you should have a photo ID to vote. Well, well, in in person voting, we've we've required photo ID from at least 2006. So and that is a popular provision that people are like, well, that seems like a no brainer. But that's not that's not what 202 is. 202 is almost a surgical um, example of going into the election code and just tweaking certain provisions that if you look at the impact of them, they specifically impact voters of color. And so when we just come out of an election where we have record numbers of people of color voting, right, with record numbers, and then all of a sudden the response to that from the Republicans in the Georgia General Assembly is to pass a bill that just makes some changes that are really going to impact those same voters to try to make it harder for them to vote or make it easier to throw out their votes. I mean, you can't divorce this law from kind of the intent. You can't divorce it from what happened with Trump. You can't divorce it from January 6th. And, And my guess is all of that together is probably why the Justice Department decided to get involved. The other side of it is Governor Kemp is going to use this to maybe his advantage. Some people will say it's an advantage that that a Republican strategist or GOP operative. We don't know who that is. We have an idea of who that may be. Yes, we do. Uh, But saying that this is Christmas morning for Governor Kemp, who's going into a governor's race where he's, you know, sort of split between Republicans. Is it Christmas morning for him? I mean, he's going to try to make it that. I mean, how long did we have to listen to him talk about cancel culture? And then how long did I mean, it's like he kind of grabs on to something that he thinks is going to be political football for him. And he he's going to talk about this for months. And there are going to be emails, fundraising emails that are going to go out. And he's going to try to use this to say, see, look at me. I'm the one who's trying to protect you, Trump voters. And and look, the Biden Justice Department is coming in and coming after me. He's going to try to use it as a badge of honor. The problem is, is that the Trump supporters, the Trump voters, they don't buy it because in a large part, they blame him for not overturning the election. I mean, that's the irony of all of this. So, you know, look, he'll probably raise some money off of it, but I don't think it's a game changer for him. Break out the content calendar. 
Here we go. It's like this week, critical race theory. The next week, it's going to be cancel culture. It's Dr. Seuss week in Georgia this week. Yeah, it literally just <laughs> follows the, the Chiron on Fox or whatever. Um, it's Newsmax now. I mean, it's not even like Fox. It's, it's I, you know, I think when it comes to Fox News now, you've got, you know, you've got their nighttime programming, which is all opinion-based programming. The rest of the day, you know, obviously they're they're latching on to these issues. I mean, I, I mean, it, it just, the amount of attention that critical race theory keeps getting is just, it's so fascinating and maddening. Uh, it's a deeper conversation for another time, but I feel like, this is going to have a lot of energy in talking about, like, you know, the opposition. Yeah, it's just, look, what I've noticed in terms of what Team Kemp does, and then, of course, the, the, the lackeys kind of follow behind in terms of the other people that are running, is that it's all about division, right? It's all about coming up with a subject that is us versus them, that somehow those people, whoever those people are, are going to change our way of life or are going to are taking something away from us or, or making our children do something that we don't agree with. And it's not true. And all that that does is it just further poisons the water in terms of the toxicity of our politics. So, you know, I was surprised what the Department of Justice did. I think it's absolutely necessary in light of what I witnessed as this bill went through. Oh, yeah. By the way, we need to bring that up because when Rudy Giuliani was his law license was suspended they in the state of New York. I wanted to ask you about that, because first of all, when I read that, I was like, oh, my God, I remember you and Senator Elena Parent in the Georgia State Capitol with Rudy Giuliani, the two of you holding your masks so close to your face, like, don't breathe on me. Days later, it was announced he had COVID. And I think then, the next day, actually. And, but, and, but yet, he was nice to you ladies. Yeah, he, he was overly nice to us. <laughs> I mean, that's what was interesting. <laughs> there, were, there were some hot takes from some reporters saying that Giuliani was dressing us down or yelling at us. And I'm like, he was not yelling at us. He was doing the opposite, which was super creepy. Let me just say Of course that. it's creepy because in a, in a weird way, I'm, this is going to come off creepy. But uh, okay. You're both very attractive, brilliant women. And he's a dirty old man. And he was probably like, and even with masks on, you know, I mean, we've also, you, have you seen Borat? Yes. Okay. So, so you know what I'm dealing with here. So he, his law license is suspended. How bad is that? Is what's the difference between suspended and disbarred? So what's interesting is that the, the suspension notice references that there's probably going to be permanent action taken. So I would not be surprised if he loses his law license altogether. Look, in a lot of ways, it was vindication for me because when we were sitting in those Giuliani hearings, it was like an out-of-body experience because everything that they were saying, no one was pushing back. No one was questioning. And what they were saying was false. 
And I knew that. I mean, and, and I tried my best and Elena tried her best to push back, but it literally was just the two of us in this room with the Republican senators who had set it up secretly with Team Trump. And it was supposed to be a dog and pony show. And it was live streamed on Newsmax and OAN. I mean, it was just like, just falsehoods, just leaving the Georgia Senate, right? It was just kind of flowing (laughs) out. And I was just like, I cannot even believe I'm in this situation right now. So for me, you know, this suspension order is 33 pages long. Georgia is mentioned 33 times in that, in a New York suspension order. So I'm kind of like, I'm glad I'm not the only one or I'm glad somebody else looked at everything and said, yeah, all of that was a bunch of lies. Well, it's a good thing you came back from counting all those ballots, you and Senator Barron. Yeah. Like- Speaking of Herschel Walker, <laughs> right? Yeah, it is. It is. We are in we are in we are in tough times. It, is, it is a weird time. All right. Well, um, let's um, shift gears a little bit. We talked to Mayor Kasim Reed last time um, and uh, for more on what it's like running for the city of Atlanta mayor, which is heating up, we will have a very special guest. And we'll get to that now. Kathy Woolard was a member of the Atlanta City Council for District 6 from the 90s to 2002 and the president of the council from 2002 to 2004. And she is the first openly gay elected official in Georgia history and the first woman to be the president of the council. Now you can see her on the Georgia gang. She also ran for mayor in 2017. And since we had uh, Mayor Kasim Reed on the show uh, on our last episode, we thought it would be a great idea to bring Kathy on. So she took a break from the Georgia gang to talk to the Vote Her podcast. Good to see you. Good to talk to you. Thanks. It's great to be here. Yeah, well, let's start then. Let's just jump into kind of the mayor's race. So it is still pretty early, but what are your kind of initial thoughts in terms of the field of candidates? Well, I I think the field's not set yet and qualifying isn't until like the third week of August. So I think we'll see, you know, one or more additions that will, will impact the race significantly, I think. You know, they're all still sort of, feeling around, you know, to kind of find their lane, criminal justice reform and crime, the kind of the flip side of two things are heavy on people's minds, but they're not the only things. I mean, the operations of the city have really declined in the last several years and certainly a lot in the last year. You know, housing affordability is a, a massive problem that, you know, just the mayor promised some action on and, and really never got around to it. And and then just sort of the whole pipeline of infrastructure projects that kind of should have been happening really didn't. And so uh, whoever gets elected is going to be starting from a, a real, a, a big blank slate with a whole lot of things that need to happen. And not very much money, I might add. Were you really surprised when Keisha Lance Bottoms announced she wasn't going to be running for a second term? What was your reaction to that? You know, I was surprised because one would have thought something like that would have, you know, kind of come earlier. And I think people thought that she might, you know, that her out was going to be to go with the administration. And when that didn't transpire, you you know, it it didn't appear that she was going to be going anywhere. 
I, I will say, I think she was incredibly candid and in her, you know, and basically saying it's a, it was a really hard four years. She didn't enjoy the job. She didn't really want to do it anymore. And, you know, it takes a lot of backbone to say and, and to kind of assess how you feel about it. So I, I'm pretty proud of her for stepping aside and letting people with, you know, passion to do the job right now take a chance at it. Yeah, you mentioned in terms of two of the things that are really kind of front of mind for a lot of folks in in the city, criminal justice reform and also crime, obviously. And you're right, there is tension there. And so to have to thread the needle as a candidate is going to be really, really difficult, I think. In terms of, of the folks that are out there now, has anybody kind of taken one of these things on in a way that you think actually is is kind of a winning message? Or is it still way too early? I think it's way too early. I, I think there have been some candidates that have, have made, made some stabs at it, but I don't think anybody's broken through with a, a vision and a plan that, you know, has has captured a lot of people's imaginations. I think some of the things that need to happen on the what kind of law enforcement side uh, are the same things that have been a concern for years, you know, the lack of a police training facility that anybody wants to be a part of, pay, you know, training, um, those things are sort of key. Then I think the other piece, you know, for the law enforcement piece is, you know, how do we separate the social service aspect of things that, that police officers are being asked to deal with? from, you know, really dealing with crime fighting. And nobody has come up with anything that I've found cogent, uh, you know, to do that. I don't know that it's the hardest thing in the world to do. Other cities have done it, but I just don't, I just am not hearing it. And then, you know, the, the, the flip side of it relative to dealing with criminal justice reform, you know, kind of transitions from that sort of, you know, homelessness, mental health issues, how do we engage, you know, kids in our community with, you know, wholesome activities, you know, so, you know, sports leagues and after school jobs and tutoring and things to help them, you know, make up for a lost year of school. You know, it, it's really going to take the whole community to, to engage. And um, we just we need a master plan. We need jurisdictions to, commu- you know, to coordinate with each other and cooperate and just need to get about it. But you know, all of that can be a full-time job for for a mayor without even thinking about the other things that are needed. So the mayor, Mayor Bottoms and former Mayor Reed were known to be allies. And I remember in the last race, he was one of her her biggest boosters, Mm -hmm. right? And so that's why it's kind of odd that he kind of flipped on her. And, And he started coming after her pretty aggressively on Twitter. I mean, maybe not by name, but really kind of casting aspersions, throwing out criticisms with respect to her. Did that surprise you? Because they had been so close. Well, it was a it was a pretty quick reversal. You know, he had a similar reversal with former Mayor Shirley Franklin. And so one has to wonder if he has a problem with women in leadership positions, but we'll leave that for a, another minute. But I think that... Um, Definitely, he didn't make her job any easier after helping her get there. Did you think about running this time around? Oh, yes, of course. I thought about it for four <laughs> years. I, I agonized over it. I, you know, I'm a little grateful that I had a year of navel gazing during COVID to work myself through it. But, uh, you know, 
my conclusion was that this time around is just not the best time for me to get elected. And I, I, I've never minded getting into a race when I thought that I could see how the win happens. Um, but I just, I couldn't, I, I just couldn't come to the numbers. I think in terms of criminal justice reform and, and law enforcement, I, I, I think I can be as good as anybody out there, but that's not how I'm sort of branded to people in the city because of my expertise in transit and infrastructure and um, in sort of, you know, how you actually run a city and my interest in environmental issues. So I think it, you know, is in four years is a bit of a transition to be convincing to people that, you know, I've spent a lot of time on what, what the key issues are today. But at the end of the day, you know, some of being a mayor is showing up and making decisions. Um, it's not about whether you have the best vision because you don't know what's going to get thrown at you. And you really just have to, you know, be able to understand your city's needs and, and respond as best you know how. And so really that's going to be what people are going to judge people on. You know, being mayor of Atlanta would be, uh, you know, the dream job of forever because it's a, a wonderful place with wonderful people who, you know, want good outcomes for our community and who wouldn't want to lead that. Yeah, I think the the one word you said that I think is 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 really important here with respect to Mayor Bottoms and, and a lot of the criticisms against her is to respond to the needs of the city because it really has seemed like she hasn't been responsive and people people have not liked that. Right. Well, and, uh, and uh, I just want to say one. I mean, I would like your feedback on this, Kathy. Like, look, you said to respond to the needs. Would you argue like like she was dealt like the worst hand ever between COVID, George Floyd, protests? I mean, the, I mean, seriously, like, you know, it, your city's bad and you've got things you've got to deal with that are unsavory. But wow, what a year. Yeah. I mean, it's been a bad year. You know, she started out having the cyber attack that she had to deal with. Right, I'm not that sure too. really fully recovered from, you know, there's been a lot. I also, you know, you got to remember, you know, she's a lawyer and was a judge before that. She, you know, she, she hasn't been in the side of politics that, that requires the, the kind of, you know, up to the minute leadership that this job requires. And I don't, you know, people think they want to be mayor, people think they want to be a politician, but then they get there and they don't have the tools and the experience to actually enact policy or understand how to mobilize a community around, you know, a common vision. And, you know, so you see somebody like Kasim, you know, who, you know, I'm, it's not obvious, obviously I'm not a huge fan, but, you know, he spent time in the General Assembly, he spent time you know, working, you know, with people at the federal level and at the state level and at the city level. And that skill set is an important thing. And so I think, you know, for people who are in a rush to make a decision, I think they need to kick the tires, you know, a fair amount um, because you don't want to elect somebody who doesn't actually know how to do any of those things. And, and in the race that I was in, you know, there were 13 people of those 13, there were a number of us who knew how to do all those things. And the two people who ended up in the runoff had no experience doing any of those things. So, you know, Atlanta voters need to make a better choice this time around. Yeah, I think I think they're there. I mean, there is (laughs) (laughs) there is so much attention on this race that it is it's crazy. I mean, 
I, it sucked the oxygen out of the room politically, for me, at least. So it'll be really interesting. Yeah, that was a big one. So can you talk about the pressure of being the you know, first openly gay Georgia politician as far as like where you see it from like when, when you were first out and now, you know, obviously June is Gay Pride Month and there's a lot more attention to that. But on the flip side of that, Kathy, I feel like these trans bills keep coming up. And, and so like... You know, and then celebrating the anniversary of the Gay Pride March in in uh, Georgia or Atlanta, it's fifty years, and it's like you know the the you got to keep on being active. You can't stop the fight. So so, give me the good, bad, and the ugly of where we are right now. So we're certainly far and away better than I ever expected to have things be in my lifetime, right? My wife and I have been together for 33 years. We've been married for however long it's been since we were able to be married. I can never keep the dates right, but, but we got married when we could. And, and, and that, you know, has provided us with a tremendous amount of economic security as we, you know, get older and try to plan for our future together. You know, what we don't have is comprehensive civil rights protections in federal law or state law in employment, housing, public accommodations, credit, other kinds of things that are really, really needed. And certainly at the beginning of my career in the late 80s, you know, that was something we were working on and we're still working on it. And I introduced the first comprehensive civil rights bill in in city government here in Georgia and got that passed and continue to work with other cities in doing it because our state is one of five doesn't have that. Uh, And what that means practically for people is that if you experience discrimination and you want to do something about it, you have to file a federal lawsuit, which takes a lot of money, a lot of time. It doesn't resolve the situation quickly or or easily and and leaves communities with a whole lot of bad feelings. So, you know, we're, we're, we're doing a lot better, but then, you know, then you have people bringing these bogus and damaging bills about transgender kids and you know it's just picking on children and it's it's really obscene i mean I, you know if you watch the hearings and you know you watch jen slipikoff you know testify about her daughter who you know is like 13 and plays lacrosse on her team and she, she just described her I, I don't know her daughter but she described her in the most beautiful and loving way you know, and at the end said, what, what do I do? Just tell her she can't play? I am the mom of a student athlete. Um, as I dropped my 13-year-old daughter off at school a few weeks ago, uh, she leaned into the back seat, gathered up her lacrosse equipment, and trotted toward the school building, balancing her backpack, bright pink lacrosse stick, and duffel bag. I sat and watched her for a few moments, marveling at her flowing strawberry hair, her little frame, her grace, her lightness. She just clears four and a half feet, barely weighs 60 pounds. I remember those days. Uh, She is trim and lithe, toned and tiny. She has a peaches and cream complexion with thick, long eyelashes and small, delicate features. She struggled during the pandemic. Her access to friends and fresh air diminished, creating a vacuum of solitude. Hours spent behind her computer completing schoolwork alone. The spring sports season brought a promise of normalcy a glimmer of hope, an opportunity to socialize and exercise safely. This body seeks to take that away from her. Why? Because my daughter happens to be transgender. 
And there happens to be a lot of misunderstanding around what that really means. It's not dangerous for my daughter to be on the same sports team as her girlfriends. She's not taking the spot of another more deserving girl as if my daughter deserves less than. She's not a threat. Rather, she's a teenager that has worked for the last decade trying to help people understand who she really is. Her teammates have been her friends since preschool. Pulling her from this team to her, of her cherished community and sending her to play with the boys would be nothing short of traumatic and cruel. I can tell you with absolute certainty that the boys team would not be safe for many reasons. The least of which is that her petite size would be overpowered by the boys on her team and aside from her physical safety, she would undoubtedly be heckled by players and dare I say parents on the sidelines wondering what a girl is doing competing against their sons. So I'm left wondering if she doesn't belong on the boys team and she doesn't belong on the girls team, where exactly do you think she belongs? Can you tell me she belongs somewhere? Or do you think she doesn't belong anywhere? Because that is what passing this bill will tell her. Thank you. You know, and that's what our General Assembly does to gain political advantage. They pick on children. They pick on vulnerable people to, to create that division. And I was sick of it 40 years ago. I'm really sick of it now. It's just, you know, we have got to do better than this. Yeah, things are really gotten a lot more toxic. But Speaking of the General Assembly passing stuff that is intended to go after certain populations, obviously SB, Senate Bill 202, is in the news. And Mayor and I were talking about it earlier, but Kathy, in terms of the Justice Department filing a lawsuit against the state of Georgia, that that seems like a pretty a pretty incredible move. It seems like it to me, too. I, you know, it's been a long walk in the desert to get the, a Justice Department that, you know, will step up and defend people. So I'm really glad they're looking at it. And and I think what what's important for people to kind of glue together if they haven't already is, you know, our bill, you know, is just one of many happening in other states with similar provisions, right? Whatever they can, whatever they can get through. And so it is difficult for anybody in any state to say, oh, we're addressing a particular problem in our state when the same mess is happening in other states, the same kinds of language is happening in other states. It can't be, you know, uh, that everybody's got exactly the same problem. Um, and, and, you know, I don't think there's a problem anyway, but so I think that, you know, so I look forward to seeing the Justice Department extend that into, you know, looking at the other states as those bills kind of wind their way around. The other piece, and I've talked about it a lot, and I'm sure y'all have too, is, you know, there's the particulars about how an individual votes, whether there's a drop box available or, you know, whether somebody can give you water or, you know, what kind of ID you need to use. But to me, the, the, the really chaotic stuff that came through is this ability for the legislature to start, you know, dismanding, count, disbanding county election boards and taking people out and that individuals can file complaints against voters and have standing. And that is going to make, you know, the city elections probably messy, but n two years from now, the state elections, 
I'm, you know, quite worried about. So I'm glad that they're stepping in so that we can start really peeling away at some of these uh, things before we have to, you know, put them into motion and find out how bad they are. Well, it's interesting because it was done so quickly that there are a lot of places in the bill that don't make sense if you actually kind of try to figure out exactly what they were trying to do. And so I think that's going to that's going to come out in the wash, too, because that's problematic for local elections officials. I mean, if it's not clear from the face of the law exactly what they're supposed to do, I mean, what do you do? So even apart from kind of the discriminatory intent and the, the awfulness of the bill, I mean, it's just poorly drafted and, and, and deserved much more time and attention than it got. Well, yeah. And I mean, you know, it's, I can remember when I started my career, we actually had competitive, you know, uh, districts that people ran in. And so you actually had, you know, bipartisan legislation at the federal level and the state level. It was still acrimonious. People still fought real hard. But because districts were competitive, you couldn't just lurch from, you know, sort of one, you know, end to the other of the political spectrum. You really had to kind of hone your responses to things toward a, you know, toward a, a middle, which admittedly sometimes doesn't move things as fast as people might want on, on either edge, but, you know, is really where the vast amount of, you know, American voters are, are more comfortable. And, you know, I, we're in a time where we're getting ready to have redistricting and I'd love to see us get there. And, and I, I hope, as you have listeners who are, are both, you know, Democrats, Republicans, independents, whatever, that we all join together and insist that districts are competitive enough that voters can remove someone if they're not listening. Right now, that doesn't happen. Once you get into office, about 97% of the time, you get reelected um, until you want to do something else. And that is not good for democracy. And it's not good for it's not good for getting things done doesn't put it that, you know, when you want to say you want to redo our voting bills, first of all, you got to identify that you have a problem that didn't happen. But then if you redo fundamental things that have to do with our democracy and one side is dictating every aspect of it, you know, you're not going to get something that everybody's going to feel good about. And, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I'm not pie in the sky about it, but I, I just, you know, I feel really bad about where we are as a country. No, I do too. And I, and I do I always point to gerrymandering too. I do think it's radicalized the basis of both parties. And I think it's absolutely prevented us. I mean, it's, it's, it's prevented us from getting anything done. And, and, you know, the result of it are people like Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? right? Because they are, those are the kind of folks that how these districts are drawn, those are the people that get elected. And they sure aren't doing a lot for their constituents. And she'll probably get elected again. Yeah. And let's let's uh, be fair for a minute. I mean, we, you know, Democrats elected Vernon Jones. I mean, right. you know, but he's, he's not he's our not problem anymore. <laughs> he's changed parties, but, you know, he's the opportunist that, that we always knew he was. But I, I mean, I think we have to be fair and, and kind of own our own mess. But again, I, I would join with any Republican that would agree that districts need to be no more than 55 percent of any political party. Is that hard? You know, you go on the Georgia gang and, and you know, you are, you know, the voice of the Democratic Party on there. And sometimes, you know, you're, you know, you're putting some hot, fiery situations. So what's that like? 
Yeah, what in terms of representing the party? Yes. Or, well, you know, I try to I try to walk a balance. I try to make sure you know people do want to hear what the difference is between political parties, you know, or or different viewpoints. So I, I do try to you know play my role in that sense. But I also really try to make it in the context of how I actually feel about it. I, I try not to be disingenuous about the comments that I make. And, you know, m- more than a few times I've agreed to the surprise of many people, you know, with some of the Republican people on, on the thing, you know, not, not always in the way they say it, not always in the way, you know, the specific details, but, you know, if somebody's caught in a lie, they're caught in a lie. And, you know, it doesn't matter which party they're, they're in and we have to call it that way. Or if a policy is just not making any sense. Yeah. If it's bad, it's bad. Bad is bad. We got to own our own stuff for people that even want to pay attention. Totally. Totally. Well, I love your office, by the way. I can, I can see, (laughs) and I know um, if you're listening, you can't see it, but um, a couple of my favorite artists I can pick out, Black Cat Tips right behind you, and Our Land. Is that yes. an Our Land? Yeah. funny too, right there behind me. Yes, two, uh, two really, really great, great Georgia artists. So you really walk the walk and talk the talk. You love Atlanta and uh, Kathy's all about it. You should see her office. It looks pretty, it looks cooler than your headquarters. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Mara. Well, and that little Georgia thing back there, the state right there, that's Buzz Busby is another Georgia artist who just actually sent that to me the other day. And it says, uh, it doesn't say beautiful blue Georgia. So I put it up there this week for Georgia Gang so he could uh, know how much I appreciate it. Oh, I love that. I love that. Well, thank you, Kathy. We really, really appreciate you spending some time with us. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And, and we'll, we'll see you on the Georgia Gang. And that is on Sundays. Sunday mornings at 8.30 on Channel 5. We'll be watching. All right. Thanks. Appreciate it. Well, that was great. Kathy's terrific. And I love her Atlanta pride. By the way, you should follow our land on Instagram. And also uh, Black Cat Tips to Kyle Brooks is the, the artist. They're so great. It's so funny because I have stickers on my car from both of those artists. So I was excited when I saw that. So we've been kind of pro-Atlanta or at least Atlanta-centric of late, which I think is necessary. Well, since it's, we're, a, it's, a vote, it's, it's the vote it's, her pod. We're ATL all the way. I know we are. And, and also... That's that's where things are happening right now. I mean, it's right? your district. I mean, and it's my district. You're, it's okay. your district. You're state senator. No, I but mean, what I'm saying is, I think it's good. Pump so, it up. But but one thing I did want to talk about in terms of Atlanta, are how about those Hawks, man? It's very exciting. Now, you know, my son plays basketball, and so like it's like extra. It's like so much extra, and you know, I live in a household dude, so there's just so many, so much sports happening. It's and I'm not a sportsy gal, but I do love watching basketball and especially the Hawks. And it has been very, very exciting watching them go through the playoffs because I don't think people thought that this could happen. And by the way, remember, I've been trying to get Steve Coonan on. I know, Steve. (laughs) What's up, man? So this is this is crazy, but it's almost like I think the Hawks and Steve Coonan got such great juju from doing the great things they did in terms of the State Farm Arena and opening that up in terms of voting and making it easier for so many people. And so this almost feels karmic in some ways because, you know, 
they were instrumental in making it easier for people to vote and not only vote, but to vote safely during COVID. And I will forever be thankful for that. Isn't that amazing? And you also think about you know, here we were a year ago and the NBA is the lead. They're the leaders in social change, social justice, very vocal about it. And they really walk the walk. I think there are a lot of professional sports organizations that may put something in their logo or they may do a PSA or whatever, where at least in the case of the Hawks, and I know in, they did it with the Dallas Mavericks and Mark Cuban's been very uh, instrumental in that. Um, so I'm just interested in all those politicians that did not like seeing Black Lives Matters in the NBA, uh, where they are when the Hawks just keep, you know, winning and, you know, suddenly it's, uh, although I haven't seen um, Hi Kelly, Kelly Leffler celebrating the Hawks at all. Well, she should. <laughs> but look, I kind of want to put it out there for any other Georgia sports team. You know, if you support voting rights. It's true. It's true. It's like it, it, it actually may affect your next season. It's good karma. I mean, look at the Braves. I don't know. How are they doing this season? I, I don't. I mean, uh, it's on in my house, but I'm just not. I mean, whatever. It's like the Braves. There's a player named Ian Anderson. And I just think of the band Jethro Tull. That's that's see, that's where I go. I did classic rock for 100 years on Z93. You remember, don't you? Oh, no. Yes, I do. <laughs> okay. Yes, I do. So anyway. But- anyway, yes. What the Hawks did, freaking amazing. And that Trey Young. I mean, are your kids into it? Are they excited? Or- Everybody's excited. I mean, after the year we've had, it, it feels like the sun is shining. Right. The sun is shining. And I think all of us need a little bit of good right now. Absolutely. And shout out to the great Ryan Cameron, who's my friend who you hear, who's like, sweet. He makes all those great noises in there. Well, go Hawks. Uh, We don't know where we'll be when this drops, but, um, you know, we're we're bringing it good juju also, Jen. You know, we like winners. Yeah, we do. We like winners. I mean, sometimes I like losers too, because it's fun. It's easier yeah. to get them for interviews. <laughs> Have you talked to uh, Andrew Yang lately? <laughs> On that note, thanks, Christina Laringer, for producing and editing and Terminus Records for our music. And thanks to you following uh, at Senator Jen and at Mara Davis on social media, at Podcast Vote on social, all your comments, feedback. It's so, so appreciated. And to those of you who have written a comment in Apple Podcasts, it really, really does go a long way. So give us a rating, a ranking, because we like to be winners too. That's right. We do. 